Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 153 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go out on the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here this week, and thanks for tuning into the show. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help the show, the best way to show your support is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Your ratings and reviews help the podcast get seen easier and hopefully will help get people off the sofas and onto the saddle. So I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who's been doing that and supporting the show over the last number of weeks. I just want to say good luck to everybody who is participating in the Vitus First Tracks Enduro Cup Rounds 1 and 2 at Bigwood this weekend, Saturday the 22nd and Sunday the 23rd. It's kind of the second race of the season, so I hope everybody has a good time. It's great to see the racing back, and I know Glenn and the crew have put in a lot of work to make this happen, so I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope the weather holds up for everybody, and um, everybody has a great weekend, so enjoy it. And I'll be keeping a tight eye on the results there to see how everybody's getting on. So good luck, have a great weekend, and I hope everything goes well. So on to today's episode, and on episode 153, we are chatting with Francis Strahd, the founder and owner of Australian MTB apparel brand called Franked. I've been following Franked on social media for some time and have really liked the look of their designs, uh, the gear that they are producing, and the one thing that caught my eye, to be honest, was how inexpensive their clothing is. Everything from their riding jerseys to their technical shorts, their stuff, you know, to be honest, is great value. So that got me thinking, and I was thinking about how can a seemingly small brand compete and produce products at good, if not better, than the larger industry players? So I reached out and asked Francis if he'd be keen to come on the show and tell us the story of Frank. How it started, community support, product lines, future plans, and how Franked can produce a great-looking, performing, and low-priced technical garment to enjoy while on the trails at such a good price. So Francis came on the show, and we chat about that, plus much more stuff to do with his local scene and how everything is going on there. Now, Francis has also been kind enough to offer all MTB Tribe listeners 15% off the Franked website stuff, so tune into the show or visit the show notes or the resource page for more information. You'll find that at mtb-tribe.com. And Francis offers international postage and all, so you don't have to worry about that. So without further ado, let's get Francis on the podcast and let's hear more about Franked MTB Apparel. And welcome, Francis, to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Francis. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you, sir? Hey, mate. Uh, all good here. Just, uh, yeah, got some work done this morning. We're a few hours uh, a few hours different to you, so just about to head out for a ride after this, which will be nice. Wow, very nice indeed. Yeah, you're based there in Perth, Western Australia, and you're kind of down on that peninsula, are you? Perth's kind of down on like a peninsula, like a South Peninsula type of thing. Is that right? uh it's not really i mean if you look at australia really zoomed out i guess it kind of is but um when you're in perth it's yeah just it's kind of on the coast but where i live is probably 20 minutes from the coast yeah cool man cool do you surf yeah i do we um we have some funny waves in perth though it's not um it's always crowded and the waves aren't that good but when i go up north or go to uh indonesia or down south then yeah i'll go surfing there yeah cool man and west australia it's it's quite sharky there right yeah there's been a few shark attacks um try not to think about it too much i got i just got home from a trip up north we were about um 12 hours 13 hours up north um by driving and there's some really good waves up there and there's lots of sharks but they seem to be well fed on the fish so there's not really any um attacks up there (laughs) (laughs) yeah bro yeah um yeah i've been to indonesia a couple of times um i've never made it to australia which is a shame i really should do um i've got a good friend lives there actually he's been living there 10 or 11 years 
So he's based just north of Melbourne. So I really should, I should make it out there. Um, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but how's the old COVID thing been affecting you there? Uh, yeah, we're pretty lucky in Perth. We haven't had many cases uh, for a long time. And the cases we have had, I think, are mostly um, people coming from over east uh, or overseas. But Melbourne and Victoria in particular, they're in a second wave. They're, um, they're in pretty strict lockdown at the moment. So, uh, yeah, pretty lucky that we're over in the west coast. Yeah, for sure. Has it affected your mountain bike brand at all? Uh, it did. It sort of affected it very early on because um, I have different suppliers that do different products, but the supplier that I deal with the most uh, frequently does all the jerseys and they are in China. Uh, so they shut down for a little while and it was right after Chinese New Year. So there was a period there where I couldn't get anything made. And then when they did open up again, it was all pretty slow, um, slow going. And then and then the hangover from that, which is still happening now, is just shipping across from China is taking a lot longer than normal. Uh, but, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. I haven't been affected in my business a lot as much as other people have. So Yeah, yeah. It seems to have been pretty bad for quite a lot of people, to be honest. I know people that are expecting stuff from China, you know, they're struggling with stock and some of the bike companies and obviously that aren't based in China, but, you know, still Far East, it, it was they were struggling to get stock. Yeah, I know a lot of the bike shops um, here, but across the world are all pretty, uh, they're still struggling with stock. They just can't get enough bikes. So, um, yeah, mine hasn't been too bad, which is good. Yeah, cool. Okay, before we get into Frank, your MTB Apparel brand, let's chat a little bit about where you're at there and what the mountain bike scene's like. Uh, have you been mountain biking for quite some time? Yeah, I've been mountain biking for just thinking probably maybe like 12 years or something. Um, okay. I actually started when I was in the UK. I went over there for a gap year after high school and um, I was working in an outdoor activity center just doing some, like, uh, taking groups of kids, mount, uh, not mountain biking, rock climbing and kayaking and canoeing, stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, some of the people I was living with were into mountain biking, so I started riding. Um, and then when I came home, I bought a bike and started trying to find all the local trails. And then between then and now, the scene in Perth has sort of just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, to the point where now it's a really big scene. We've got really good race series, um, lots of good trails, but unfortunately most of them are sort of unsanctioned trails. The government seem to be pretty behind the eight ball in terms of giving us new trails, um, but the unsanctioned networks are pretty popular. Yeah. So when you've got race series and stuff, can they still be held on those trails? Yeah, they stick to the sanctioned trails, um, and then we have a we have one private mountain bike park which is a few hours down south of Perth, and so they host a few events uh, every year, which is some of the best riding, well, definitely the best sanctioned riding in WA. Yeah, wow, man, that's cool. And I was looking at your, you've got a race team and stuff there with your apparel brand, and. They all, I take it they all race in Australia. That is that all local stuff you see them guys racing? Or? Yeah, we have uh, we have one guy who's actually just leaving the team now. Um, he's his name's Jordan Prakara. He's ranked somewhere in the fiftieth or around fifty in the EWS. So he's been doing the last couple of seasons a few races uh, in EWS, and yeah, seems to be doing really really well um and then yeah a couple of us will go over every now and then to do national rounds or to do the uh national championships yeah it's it's cool man you seem to have a really active community out there um is the biking community in australia as friendly as it seems to be elsewhere yeah it's a really good scene um everyone seems to get along it's it's funny coming from like other sports like surfing and stuff like that it's you don't have any well 
it's actually it could go that way but at the moment we don't have any localism <laughs> or anything like that where people get really defensive of their trails as long as everyone's um you know being really nice about it and not doing the wrong thing like um sharing it on social media or or yeah as long as everyone does the right thing everyone's pretty happy mm-hmm. yeah do you have an issue there because your trails aren't sanctioned a, a ticket it's just local guys that build them and stuff like that. Do you have any kickback from those guys where certain people go in and destroy trails or, or maybe put put things up on social media about where they're at? Do you have any of that going on? Yeah, we do. I think generally, I mean, you talk to different people in different sort of areas and they'll, they'll say different things, but most people are okay um, with sort of sharing their trails so long as it's not, being plastered all over social media with um with information on exactly where the trail is like if you just say it's in perth they don't really seem to mind too much uh but the bigger problem is when people change the trail so if someone's put in a lot of work building a trail and then other people go there and change it or you get motorbike riders riding up the trails uh, and they just wreck they wreck a whole lot of work um so a couple of guys that i ride with are having a lot of trouble with that at the moment yeah yeah we don't well, I don't know. We don't seem to have so much of it here. We have quite a lot of, you know, purpose-built trail centres here. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're very, very lucky that way. And, yes, there is a lot of natural trails and stuff uh, to mm-hmm. the local guys and things. Um, you know, but, yeah, we, we seem to have – I just don't know if the community is big enough yet for that kind of stuff to be happening, but we seem to be okay there, so we're we're very lucky. Yeah, I think it's come out of the uh, fact that the government haven't um, been putting in many sanctioned trails. And when they do announce a new trail, they might say, oh, we've got $2 million to spend. Um, and then most of that money gets wasted on on plans and uh, drafts and designs. Uh, and very little of it actually goes into – well, very little of it you can see has actually been spent on the trail. Um so what happens is people just get annoyed with and go build their own stuff. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Um, have you guys got a group or anything that's trying to get trails built? Have you uh, an advocate group, anything like that going? Yeah, there's a few different uh, groups in WA and in Australia that are pushing for that sort of stuff, and they are working really hard to get new trails. But even then, when you've got people pushing for it, it still takes so long. There's so much red tape involved that um, – from an outsider's point of view, it just seems like it's barely moving forward at all. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, but you would think with the growth, like I'm sure you have noticed more guys on bikes uh, mm. since the COVID thing. It seems to be a worldwide phenomenon, really, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like chatting to your local bike stores there, have, they, have those guys seen an increase in guys buying bikes and getting out in the trails? Yeah, um, they sure have. I think the the bigger thing that's annoying the bike shops at the moment is they've sold all their bikes and they can't get more bikes. Oh, um, but yeah, I think in general, there's definitely a lot more people on mountain bikes and a lot of people over the COVID period, like you would have noticed there, they can't go to the gym or do their normal exercise. So they start looking at other options and finding new sports that they can uh, get involved with. So yeah, it's definitely good for our sport. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, how many people stick at it, if you know what I mean? There's there's bound to be a drop-off of yeah. guys once things go back to normal, um, yeah. a drop-off of guys. But even if 10 15% stay in the sport, it's good for it, right? Yeah, for sure. I've been thinking recently that I get um, – because I hang out with guys that are also passionate about it and do it, you know, multiple times a week – you forget that there's a huge number of people that are just doing it, you know, once a month or or even less. And so you go to some of these um, sanctioned trails that you wouldn't go to very often and you see all these people riding in, like, um, running shoes and board shorts and you just think, <laughs> oh, there's so many people that are still just getting into the sport that in another five or ten years it's going to be crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I still ride in board shorts sometimes. But yeah, they're not really designed for the job. Uh, yeah. So let's get into your your apparel brand. Very cool. And I've been following you guys for quite a while. Um, yeah. Tell us how you got the idea for Frank the MTB Apparel. 
Well, um, it's very different to what I studied at uni. I'm, I'm actually a physiotherapist, so um, I didn't do any marketing or business at uni or at high school, really. But I was um, getting really into racing and, and enjoying the sport, but I found it was really frustrating having to spend so much money on mountain biking kit and just thinking that it seemed really overpriced. The, the product that sort of tipped me over the line was I wanted to buy a pair of bibs that had some storage in it. This would have been four or five years ago. Um, so with pockets in the back that you'd wear under your baggy kit. And the mm-hmm. only thing that I could find that was matching that was the specialised, I think it's called the swap bib. And the price tag was like $200 or more Australian. Um, and so I just thought that's just ridiculous. It's not... <laughs> It's a cool product, but it's not um, the price shouldn't be that high uh, for something that you're gonna you're gonna wear out if you use it a few times a week anyway. Uh, and then I started thinking how much people are spending on jerseys and shorts, and uh, and at the same time, a lot of the riding kit was really uh, loud and and kind of based off motocross kit rather than mm-hmm. being. Uh, more modern and more subtle, I guess, and uh, a lot. And the biggest change has been like making it all pretty lightweight. Um, so that's where I started thinking about it, and then I just decided I'll pull the pin and start designing some. I started with some socks and some jerseys, and then um, yeah, just kind of went from there and slowly grew uh, to the point where I then designed that product that I wanted a few years earlier which was those bib shorts with storage in the in the back um and yeah just moved on from there slowly designed more products and grew the business and yeah now it's going really well yeah cool man and you know looking at your prices they are they are very very competitive there's no doubt about it why do you think other brands are so expensive then you know because i'm sure the bigger brands have economies of scale and everything going on you know they're producing loads and loads of product why do you think the prices are so high i think there's just a lot of people involved um and i think it's happening in a lot of uh parts of the mountain bike industry and i'm sure a lot of other industries but when you have a um when you have someone that's making it making the product and then they are selling to a distributor and then the distributor is selling to a bike shop and the bike shop selling to the customer Everyone's got to be making a living um, in that sort of process. So I think the price can just get out of hand really quickly. Um, But I think there's also just quite a bit of margin in it, to be honest, Um, especially when, like you said, those big brands have got economy of scale on their side. So they must, when they're selling a jersey for $100, they must be making a fair bit of money, I think. Yeah, for sure. And the bigger companies sometimes, I feel like you say, seem to be at a slight disadvantage that way because there's just so many people involved. Yeah, yeah. You know, Especially when you think about like we're in Australia, a lot of the big companies aren't um, based here and don't really have a – they might not even have an Australian department, so they're relying on um, importers and distributors and stuff like that, so there's even more people in the chain. Yeah, that's true. and. I know certain countries have certain laws where if you're selling your product inside that area, you need to use a distributor and things like that. Uh, but mm. that's not how it is for you in Australia, no? Oh, I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm, uh, yeah, I don't really, I haven't looked into that side of things too closely. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, there seems to be quite a lot of brands, smaller brands, independent brands kind of popping up uh, in the MTB clothing side of things and bikes to be honest Mm. why do you think that is i think uh i've definitely noticed that because when i started like four years ago there wasn't there definitely wasn't as many um i think people are just wanting very specific things in the in the industry so whether that's specific designs or specific features and so when they can't find that or they can't find a you know a jersey or a or a brand that's matching their style. It's it's not too hard to just start up a really small um, business. Growing that business is is a harder thing. But starting it up, you know, you can be working in a full time job and and start something up on the side, and 
yeah, make it happen. But also I think that um, at the moment, well, for the last five years, it's been really easy to do that sort of thing because you, with the internet and access to suppliers, it's never been sort of easier to contact people in other countries and find someone that's happy to make your design or that's happy to prototype some new products with you. Um, yeah, so I think it's never been easier, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, a lot of the smaller brands, I think, seem to grow out of a local scene. You know what I mean? They make they make shirts for their local crew or just mm. their, their, local, their local area, and then they kind of grow from there. And as you say, they start as a kind of a side project, you know, just like a side hustle almost, and they expand from there. But it's cool to see, man. There's plenty of options out there now. Yeah, I've I've noticed that. Um, that's definitely what happened with me. I started uh, and had a lot of support from a lot of riders in Perth, and then slowly that's branched out across Australia. But still, you find that the because it, the east coast of Australia is so far away, I can't just like pop over there for a race uh, and set up with all my like shop and stuff like that. So it's harder to crack those markets because you're not there in the local scene, whereas we, being in the local scene in Perth and WA, um, people start to see you more often and they see other people wearing your clothes and then so it, it grows like that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm sure it must have been quite a scary thing for you going into this. Is this is this your full-time gig or? No, I didn't want to. I spent a lot of time and money getting my physio degree, so I didn't want to stop doing that. Um, so I still do that at the moment I'm doing sort of three half days a week of physio and then the rest of my time spent on this. Um, and at the beginning I was working full time as a physio. So, I mean, physios are generally fortunate in that you're, you're not working a standard week. You're not working, uh, sort of nine to five. Um, the private practice I was working when I started this, I was working, sort of 12 to 7 every day. So I had the mornings to kind of think about this and, and spend time doing designs and stuff like that. Um, but at the beginning it wasn't super scary because I started at such a small scale that I didn't have to get, um, you know, a really big business loan or or order a 1,000 items of clothing or anything like that. I just started with, with what I thought was manageable and then as I got more support, uh i just yeah started ordering more things and doing more designs and grew that way yeah cool man and i think that's sensible to do that it's be very scary to take a loan and you have a freaking room full of stocks and nothing's happening <laughs> yeah especially because i hadn't done any um courses in marketing or product development or business or anything like that so uh, yeah, it would have been almost irresponsible to just go in uh, and get a $100,000 loan and, and, yeah, go hammer and tongs. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's better to go in green, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, um, I've had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I like learning new things, and, and this has been one really big learning process. Yeah, sure. And that's a game you never i think that'll never end but that's good because it keeps you interested you know you you can't really get bored with it because there's always so much more you can be doing and learning and everything else exactly sometimes it, it's uh it can get overwhelming because you just think oh this is there's never going to be less work like as in as it keeps growing there's always going to be more and more things to do um but at the same time you just yeah keep enjoying it and keep learning yeah, for sure. Uh, now, I want to ask you about after you got the initial idea for Franked, mm. how you kind of moved forward after that. Because, you know, you see these small brands and someday as a T-shirt idea, but it's getting from there to actually getting your stuff online, getting your stuff produced, designed, all this. Like, how did you move forward after that initial idea? What did you initially do? So I had that idea um or sort of what spurred me on to to come up with the brand and then from there I started with what I thought would be most uh popular which was to do a small run of sort of I think I started with maybe four different designed socks and maybe like five different designed jerseys um started from there and tried 
to develop a bit of a social media following, um, which helped uh, to, yeah, promote the brand a little bit. And then uh, from there, oh, I, I worked on the website, got that up and running um, so that people could sort of buy things online, which was a big help. And, yeah, worked on product photography. Yeah, just it was just a slow sort of build up to launching the launching the brand and launching the website and then once it was launched the orders started trickling in and yeah as I got more orders I was able to then spend more time and more money designing new jerseys and new socks and then shorts and then bibs yeah. 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 It's it's cool. Now you said you hadn't any kind of experience in the fashion industry or anything like that. How did you go about designing that stuff? Did you learn how to design? Did you learn how to build a website? Did you do all that on your own off your own yeah, back? I've done most things uh on my own. I had done prior to doing this, I had done some jersey designs just for uh like me and my friends and and sort of like really small riding groups. Um but I was still very uh, bad at using <laughs> design software. So it, it just took a long time at the beginning because I was kind of teaching myself how to use it, uh, figuring it out as I went and slowly got the hang of it. For the website, I use a um, brand called Shopify or a, mm-hmm. or a product yeah. called Shopify and they make the building of a website really, really easy for you. So um that that would have been a big thing if I was to teach myself to make websites um but then slowly it's all editable on their on their website so slowly I've learned more and more about how to change a website how to edit edit things a little bit to make it exactly how I want it um but yeah at the beginning I was it was definitely all a little bit simpler than it is now yeah no it looks cool your website's very good and you know, that's the thing I think that holds people, a lot of people would like to be doing something like this or give it a go anyway. Um, mm. But there's so many things involved. You know, you have to learn all these skills because otherwise you have to pay somebody to do it. So it, yeah. it's not easy. So fair play that you actually get stuck in there and, and learn this stuff because it's not easy. Yeah, and the at the beginning you don't know how many different little things you've got to do and it's only once you start doing it you realize oh now I've got to design the packaging or now I've got to design the the little like tag that's going to go on the jersey rather than just doing the the jersey or you know how are the socks going to be um packaged up or so like all those little things that you don't even think about at the beginning start to become uh yeah bigger concerns yeah it's crazy uh, there's so much goes into it that you don't see or you don't you don't just initially think of when you buy a product like like your, your one of your jerseys or you know yeah. one of your bibs or something. It, it's crazy, man. The amount of work that has to go into that is pretty mad. Yeah, you don't think about it until you're in well, yeah, until you are in the industry. Because when prior to this, you know, if I bought a t-shirt or I bought anything, you you just rip the tags off, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> you don't think about it at all. But then. Um, yeah, once you're designing it all, you think, oh, geez, there's a lot of work that goes into this. Yeah. You know, I've been involved in the fashion industry for quite a while. And when I get a product, you know, I do look at the tags. I look at that. I read the tag. I think to myself, right, okay, so this had to be designed. What was the idea behind this? How does it fit with the garment? And I, yeah. I, it's just one of those, I don't know, I, you know, I don't, I just I just think like that, unfortunately. You know, but uh, I see all those wee small things and I'm thinking, yeah, man, that's, you know, to be doing this in a part time, just a side hustle. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of time goes into this. Um, Did you think it would take as much time before you get started? No. And I think that's the that's the biggest advice I'd give anyone that is going to get into this. The the sheer amount of time that you have to spend is um, looking back on it now. It's almost ridiculous, really um so i think people get into it and they think oh this isn't going to take much time but once you're in it you you, yeah it takes everything takes longer than you think it's going to take yeah for sure let's chat about the manufacturers then because how did you initially find them when you were looking at getting your products produced yeah i found um so the way i went about finding reliable 
suppliers was I um, went online and found a whole bunch. So I started with jerseys and socks, went online, found a whole bunch of suppliers that would do jerseys and then a whole bunch that would do socks. And then I started contacting them and talking to them about what I wanted, um, what their minimum orders were and uh, what the price was going to be. And straight away I just started whittling down the suppliers that either wouldn't get back to me very quickly or were really bad at communicating. Um, And then I narrowed it down to probably four or five um, suppliers for each for the jerseys and four or five for the socks. And then I got those to do a sample um, to see what the quality of the stuff they were producing was like. Then once I got the sample, um, I narrowed it down I think the jerseys was one or two suppliers and then from there it's all about changing the product to make it exactly what you want so when I first got the jerseys from the supplier that I do now my current size large I think would have been he would have called that like a double xl or something like that way out and then also things like you know the sleeves would be slightly the wrong length or um yeah, you just needed to change things slowly. So it takes mm-hmm. once you've found a supplier that you like, you still have to go through prototypes and and work out, you know, some changes. Yeah, and you find your suppliers just off the bite of Google search, right? Yeah, I used a couple of different websites to find them, um, but it's so easy nowadays. Like like every supplier that wants your business is is across multiple websites, and yeah, very easy to find. How did you find? communicating with the majority of those guys i take it it is all chinese based yeah i've got so the jerseys and socks are in china um i'm dealing with a couple of suppliers now in other countries like uh pakistan and sri lanka but um yeah a lot of them are chinese based and a lot of it is just over email uh which is i like communicating over email in general um and yeah all the suppliers that i use are, are really good on emails yeah it's so important isn't it like it's it's so difficult to kind of say i need this done i need that done via email you know but you have to be so precise you almost have to learn how to email properly (laughs) yeah i've gotten a lot better at being extremely specific um compared to how i would have handled it in the beginning so now i'll be saying you know i need uh this logo to be six centimeters across and i need it to be exactly here on the jersey whereas before i would have just sent them um a design in adobe illustrator or something and and let them kind of place the logos exactly where where they were going to do it when they transferred it onto their printing software um so yeah definitely getting more and more specific with emails and then also it gets ridiculously complicated when you're trying to um make changes to a product so at the moment i'm working on getting riding pants made and we're probably up to like prototype number four and so you're just making such small changes you're like oh i need the waist to be taken in by a centimeter and i need the thigh circumference to be a centimeter less or um yeah it's it's complicated but at least if it's on email it's all kind of there and recorded and no one's gonna well hopefully no one misses anything or forgets anything yeah yeah for sure and you know i think a lot of people again when they're buying products they think that these companies have one big factory that that produce everything and of Mm. course you're saying you know you have different factories for the jerseys you do for the socks and that can be an issue right you know and your shorts how about your riding shorts because i know there is issues with with the materials and riding shorts because they're quite hard to produce right yeah so the mountain bike shorts are actually one of my most popular products, um, a combination of just how comfortable and um, good they are, but also the price point is is quite low compared to a lot of mountain bike shorts. So they're one of my biggest sellers. And that was hard at the beginning. I tried quite a lot of different suppliers um, until I got really lucky with this one supplier that I use now and they produce the shorts. I didn't have to make that many changes, which was really good um because they already had a product that was close to exactly what i wanted so it was just changing some pockets changing some dimensions and then it was good to go i didn't have to go around sourcing materials or um designing shorts from the ground up 
um, whereas the pants have been pretty much designing from the ground up. Yeah. I know with the shorts, because you have different thicknesses of materials, mm. um, some panels stretch, some don't. I know stitching and all can become a problem there when you're stitching two different materials and two different weights and elasticity and all that. Um, yeah. So fair play, that's been really good. You've done really well to produce shorts like that. Yeah, I think I wasn't uh, – or I've been really happy with the fact they've been such a big seller because it's um, – yeah, it's good to have a product that people just keep coming back to and buying multiple of. Um, mm. Lots of people have come back and bought the second pair of shorts or third pair of shorts and just not going away from the brand, which is, uh, yeah, really good to see. Yeah. Have you built up a relationship with your manufacturers? You know, is it – is it a friendly relationship? How is the communication between you? Yeah, it's it's something that – so, like, in general, uh, the communication's all really good and really courteous, but um, it's something that I want to do soon is go over to China and go um, visit the manufacturers. Um, but, you know, then COVID happens, so I don't think I'll be going to China anytime soon. But hopefully once the world all settles down and gets back to normal, I'll be able to go over there and then um, – yeah, go to the my main supplier in Pakistan as well and check it all out. Yeah, for sure. That'd be cool. Um, when you were looking at manufacturers and stuff like that, did you look into recycled materials, anything like that? Uh, because that's getting very big now, very popular in the scene. Yeah, I want to – I didn't at the time, to be honest. I didn't – it didn't even using recycled materials didn't come up. I knew that I didn't want to be um, producing, you know, unnecessary amounts of plastic or polyester or anything like that. But using recycled polyester, I didn't even know that was a thing when I started. So uh, that wasn't part of my decision-making process. But now I am um, talking to my main jersey supplier about how we can start to do that. It's not something that they've done before at this particular supplier. So we're just working out how we can do it and keep it uh, cost effective and hopefully they're able to kind of come to the party and we'll be able to produce uh, either the whole line of jerseys as recycled polyester or we could at least just have um, a couple of our eco jerseys and then worst case scenario if if we can't sort of come to a um, come to an agreement with this supplier we'll just yeah start looking at other options and see whether we can because it's such a big thing and it's it's only going to get uh more and more important so uh it's definitely something i need to address yeah the polyester i think's an issue right because it doesn't biodegrade uh, yeah. I, yeah. I did i did read something recently there that there is enough polyester on the planet that we would never have to make a new polyester product again something like that crazy you know yeah, yeah, it's certainly a problem. And it, it's a problem with a lot of um, small business startups in the apparel industry is um, wastage. So a lot of, you know, like a lot of small businesses don't make it and, and die out in the first year. Um, and so that was something I was very aware of at the beginning. I didn't want to, I never want to order so many of a product that if, that there's a chance that it won't sell and I'll have to, you know, toss it out or mm-hmm. give it away or anything like that. So, um, yeah, going back to the polyester thing, it's definitely something I think of if I can't. I'm never so crazy with my ordering that I'll I'll have something sitting around here for years and not be able to get rid of it. Yeah. No, it's good. And do the, do the factories help you with materials and stuff? You know, do they come and say to you, Francis, we've got this new material you may be interested in we can do this do that do they, do they help you that way yeah often i will suggest something and then they'll say uh yeah we've got this new material that you could try or we've got this they generally don't come to me with new ideas i think i just assume that they're too busy to be doing that but if i have an idea let's say um we've got this uh material that we've been using for the last year that we call AirTech, and it's just like this kind of meshy polyester, so it's a lot thinner and a lot lighter. And so I went to the supplier that does my jerseys and just said, oh, look, I want to have a um, more breathable jersey. Do you have any um, materials that might suit? And then they just sent me a sample of a few different materials and, and their suggestions and then, yeah, picked one of those and started designing it. 
Yeah, that's cool. I've seen your AirTech fabric on the on the jerseys. Um, is that quite a flexible fabric as well? Yeah, it's it's really lightweight and flexible. We have a lot of hot weather here, so having something that's comfortable to ride in is is pretty important. Um, the only downside to those sort of materials is there's always a trade-off. So that material doesn't hold up as well when you come off your bike. It's still, it still it doesn't tear every single time, um, but it's not as hard-wearing as, as the traditional kind of slightly thicker polyester. Yeah. I think, you know, all these, and, you know, I may be wrong in saying this, but a lot of the environmentally friendly materials like the bamboo T-shirts and all this kind of stuff, they are amazing. They are very, very comfortable. The trade-off is they maybe just don't last as long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason that the whole world has gotten so used to using things like plastics because they're so cheap, they're so um, so easy to use, and they last forever. But that's also the problem with those things is that they last forever. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can keep working on things and and coming up with sort of products that are going to last as long as people want to use them for, but not last in landfill forever yeah it's it's hard isn't it like you know i do think about stuff like that and i'm sure you do because you have a fashion brand at the end of the day there and you know when i'm looking at people buying packs of t-shirts or a pre-mark or somewhere and you're getting three or five t-shirts for like five or six pounds or something you know yep. I, I look at that and think you know they they are not paying the true price for that product you know, yeah. if you take into consideration the labor that goes into that, the water that goes into making those products, the dyes that they use that are then being the excess dyes are being flushed down rivers and killing fish and, you know, communities then are drinking this water and all that kind of stuff, the environmental impact, they're not really paying the true price. Do you think about stuff like that as well with products? Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that I think that ties exactly into that point is that when someone only pays a couple of dollars for a T-shirt, they and there's no way they're hanging on to that T-shirt for as long as they would if they spent $50 on that same T-shirt. So that T-shirt's then ending up in landfill. So not only do they not pay the price for that um, item of clothing at the beginning, but also they're more likely to get rid of it after only a few wears. Um so it definitely, yeah, it's definitely something I think about a lot in terms of not only the business but just living life outside of work, trying to minimise waste and minimise uh, effect on the environment. And we, like in WA, we're so lucky. We have such a nice um, state that you don't want to see it filled up with landfill or, or polluted any more than it already is. Yeah, it's very true because at the end of the day, and this this is what blows me away with some guys, you know, I've been surfing for years. We have good surf here in the North Coast. Um, you know, and we need the natural environment. That's where we get our fun. That's where we get our break from the office. That's where we have our chill-out time. That's where we meet for socialising with friends. It's either in the sea or in the forests or wherever it may be. We need these natural environments. But yet, we wear these products, especially the surf industry, my word. Like, we wear these products that are so bad for the environment. Mm. you know surfboards is obviously a major issue um as some of the neoprene is but i think these companies are gonna have to develop this better and we're seeing it with wetsuits and stuff from patagonia and from picture uh things like this that are really have you seen that picture brand actually have you heard of that i was just thinking about that i haven't seen any sort of um environmentally friendly wetsuits before yeah, you should check out Patagonia, do it, Finisterre, do them. Yeah. Pitcher's um, a French brand. They're actually a snow brand. Um, I ran into them once a few seasons ago when I was snowboarding, and they now have went into the the surf side of things. Their suits are 100% recycled. It's really cool, man. You should check it out. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, but it's good that you're thinking along that ways because I think people – at some stage, hopefully sooner rather than later, will need to see that from a brand or from a company that they're doing something, they're giving something back, they're producing these products as environmentally 
as they can, um, yeah. the price will be a little higher. But we should be paying that price because it's the true price of the product. Yeah, I think people are slowly cottoning onto that now, but you still see how many people are at, um, you know, Kmart or Primark or wherever you're going to get your cheap stuff. You see how many people are there every weekend. It's uh, it's going to take some time for people to realise that they have to be paying more for things if they want uh, to be looking after the environment. Yeah, that's true. You know, I have T-shirts. I've served T-shirts that must be 15 years old. I still wear them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's the odd hole in them here and there, but I still wear them. So I try to kind of buy as little as I can because I don't really need to, you know. Yeah. Um, but race jerseys is something you go through quite a lot of. Obviously, you're falling off on. Well, I fall off yeah. a lot on them. <laughs> if you're getting them cut off by the ambulance or something like that, you go through. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we – so I try to make the our standard jersey pretty – it's, it's breathable, but it also won't just rip the first time you touch the ground because, again, you don't want to be throwing jerseys out every time you go for a ride. Um, so that's something that sort of factored into the design a lot as well. Yeah, cool. Um, it's really cool to see you're doing that. You're small and it's cool to see you're actually looking at those things properly. Um, so what about stock, Francis? Like, do you hold a lot of stock? Do you run minimums? How do you work that kind of thing? Because it's a crystal ball type thing, right? Definitely. And and like I said at the beginning, having no sort of experience, uh, it has been a bit of trial and error. So um, even something as simple as trying to predict roughly how many in a different size to get, sometimes I just get it way off and I'll sell out all my extra larges in a particular jersey and then go back to the supplier and ask, uh, you know, for a for another batch in a particular size. So I'm still, you know, Four years down the track, I'm still figuring that out. But um, I I hold a fair bit of stock um, here just because if someone wants to go on your website and buy something, it doesn't take much to convince them uh, not to. So if their size isn't there or or they click on a few different products and it's all sold out, they'll very quickly leave the website. So having some stock is, is really important. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to be holding on to – ridiculous amounts of jerseys here and you and i also want to be sort of producing new designs and and fresher designs every year or every six months so you don't want to have you don't want to release a jersey and then have that sitting around for the next three years so it is it's tricky and i'm i'm figuring it out slowly yeah it's, it's difficult do you run ideas and designs even fit and stuff like that do you run that through your race team do you get their help their feedback on it yeah, the race team, and also I've got a whole bunch of friends that ride. So it's um, I'm pretty fortunate that I've got so many people around me that I can just ask, oh, what do you think of this design, or what do you think of these new mud guards, or whatever I'm doing. Um, and then also when I'm doing a new product like the shorts or the uh, pants, then I'll give them out to the race team or give them to my friends and and ask for their feedback. Mm. Uh, the women's the women's side of things a little bit trickier. Um, my partner doesn't ride mountain bikes, but she does ride on the road. So I've got a few um, ambassadors that help me out with that so I can bounce ideas off them and they can give me feedback on on what designs they think might be good and then also like working on working on women's shorts at the moment and that's proving to be a little bit tricky. But I've got some um, female ambassadors that, yeah, can try on the shorts and tell me whether they're – fitting good or uncomfortable or whatever and then make changes from there yeah cool um yeah the ladies side of things difficult there's a lot of brands struggle with it yeah Uh, and it's tricky yeah and i think the problem is they end up making ladies clothes that just look like guys clothes Mm. well i've got quite a few customers that are females that just buy my guys stuff anyway so the the men's shorts are really popular (laughs) with quite a few girls and um, and also the men's jersey. So it's tricky because some women want women-specific riding gear that looks like it's women-specific, and there's quite a lot that don't want it to be women-specific or don't want it to look like it's women-specific. So it's definitely tricky. Um, and I've got female ambassadors that are, um, you know, really into like traditional girls colors and then other uh, female ambassadors that just want me to release all the guys jerseys in girls sizes so 
it's tricky to navigate, but um, but you got to you got to try. Yeah, exactly. No, you got to for sure. And I think as more girls come into the to the sport and get interested, because we are seeing that, um, I think it'll get easier. You know, we'll get more feedback. Everybody will get a better handle on it, hopefully. So yeah, hopefully it'll get yeah. easier. Even at, at our local races, the the women's um, divisions are just getting more and more um, people entering, and and it's really good to see. So. Um, yeah, we're actually one of my female ambassadors is just in the process of starting up a women's only mountain bike festival that's going to be happening in the um, at that private bike park down south called Linga Longa Bike Park. So that's that's really exciting for the scene. Yeah, wow, that's cool. And like I know you mentioned community on your website and stuff. So how important is the community to you and your local riders? Well, yeah, it's it's hugely important. If they, especially at the beginning, if it wasn't for all the support that I got locally, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't still be doing it. So, um, it is really important. So, I sponsor the the main race um, organization in in Perth, or the ra- main race organizer, um, and then also, yeah, always looking to sort of help out where we can and. Um, yeah, raise money for different things. When we had all those big bushfires earlier in the year in the eastern states, we did some fundraising for that and donated um, a whole lot of money to that. So it's good to be able to help out where you can and and support the people that are supporting you. Mm, yeah. No, you have to. I think community is so important to you um, yeah. and, and to your brand. You have to, you have to give back, obviously. Did you get into it? Francis from a money side of thing or you don't seem to have got into it because of that was it more the lifestyle or yeah I saw the it was the I saw that gap in the market and thought that it's just um people are just spending too much money for products so I thought um this is something that I spend a lot of time doing in terms of writing and and I'm really passionate about it so I thought I'll I'll get into it and see how it goes and started off um like we discussed earlier, pretty small and then just slowly grew. And now it's it's not – I can't see it ever being something that is, you know, raking in millions of dollars. <laughs> so um, it's more that it's something that if it can pay the bills and I can keep doing it, then that's a big win. Um, and, you know, you've got to be able to feed yourself. So it's got to give back some money otherwise you wouldn't do it um but yeah definitely didn't think about it from a money point of view at the start that's for sure yeah and i think if you get into something for that reason it's probably the wrong reason to get into it yeah i think if you thought about if you added up all the hours i've spent um and tried to give me you know x amount of dollars per hour it would be pretty abysmal i don't think you would do it for the money Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose it goes back to what we were saying earlier. These big companies, they got to pay their staff, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. How about time then? Like, do you feel sometimes that you that it's a bit of a hindrance to you that you started it? You know, it's taken away from rides, it's taken away from family time or whatever. Do you ever feel like that about it? Yeah, I try not to. I always feel like I don't have enough time, uh, just in general. Uh, time to achieve everything or my you know list of things I got to get done for the day um and every now and then we'll go on holiday and just kind of shut shut down for a little while just to kind mm-hmm. of refresh and that's really important um but no I never I don't think about it too much in terms of taking away from my uh life um but yeah my partner's pregnant, so we'll see what happens next year once we've got a little one around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That might change things. That might make it a bit harder, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose having the race team there is good, and I suppose you being a physio is really good for those guys, right? They get free physio stuff, huh? Yeah, I don't actually – there was <laughs> um, – yeah, I don't actually see them that much for, for physio. Luckily, they've all been pretty lucky, and when they do come off their bikes, it's – it's a lot more major than just a couple of physio sessions. So <laughs> the physio at the hospital. Um, but definitely my friends that ride have definitely cashed in on it in the past, come and seen me when they've when they've come off. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, I came off, I need my shoulder fixed and I need a new top. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I have to start working on combo deals. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. That's it. Like you seem to really enjoy doing what you you're doing there. How do you keep motivated, and how do you? Because it is difficult. You know, you're doing it part time. You put a lot of your spare time into it. How do you keep motivated to do it? Uh, great question. Uh, I just like I like doing it. To be honest, um, I think because I spend so much time riding and racing and training, um, I'm passionate about wearing stuff that's comfortable and and i'm always thinking about how to make that better so um that helps just feed back into the the business and i come home and think oh you know i need i need a rain jacket or or i need some pants or whatever i need and then yeah because it's because it all started off from a place of um i guess passion and and hobby i still don't think that i I don't always call it work, even if I'm thinking about it all the time. So mm-hmm. as opposed to physio, which, you know, I still I enjoy and it's completely different. But, you know, when you're at work, you're at work. So it's it's very different in that term, in that sort of mindset, I guess. Mm, yeah, for sure. And you're doing something, you know, it's funny, some people, you know, you obviously loved mountain biking before you get into your own apparel company. Some people, when they go into it more from a business side of things it kind of puts them off what they enjoy doing but you seem Mm. to be the opposite that it's actually made you more passionate about the the sport yeah i think i don't think it'll put me off i think the yeah i I like it too much i just enjoy it so um it won't put me off the only thing that sometimes puts me off and ties back into what you're saying about time is um when i go to a race and i am racing but also i'm trying to sell merch or or be present at the race in in terms of the brand that can get a little bit stressful because you know you've got a you've got an enduro race on sunday and you're trying to practice on saturday and then you've got to split up split up your saturday into okay i'm going to spend half the day selling stuff at the event and then the other half I'm going to practice and then on Sunday I'm going to sell stuff before my race and then come back, get changed quickly and try and sell more stuff then. So that can get a little bit, um, that can just be tiring. But luckily my partner often comes to the races and she'll she'll sell stuff all weekend. So pretty lucky in that respect. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's difficult. That, that would not be easy. Um, it's kind of taken away from your enjoyment of the weekend, but I suppose it keeps you more involved with the community. You need kind of your feet on the ground there as well. Yeah, you're definitely embedded in the community when you when you start doing that sort of thing. Um, and like the whole weekend is generally really good, but you get to Sunday night and you're just completely knackered. Yeah, yeah, I can I can understand that. But I think for you being there and you racing. You know, you're in among your audience or your customer base there. I think that's very good for you and very good for the brand because people see, you know, you're using the gear, you're testing the gear every time you're on a bike. Yeah, for sure. You know, it really helps with the brand. And I think people certainly would rely on your stuff more because it's not just some random guy standing behind a stall trying to sell mountain bike gear and doesn't really ride or doesn't really know you know so i think it kind of validates your product in a way yeah i think that i think that's a big part of it and i think that's why it's been why there's been so much support from the local scene is that yeah i'm out there all the time um and you know a lot of people a a lot of the well all the race team are, are elite level riders so if they're not if they're not happy with something, they're not really going to be forcing themselves to wear it three or four times a week when they're out riding. So um, it definitely helps to prove the brand and give people sort of some confidence in what they're buying for sure. Yeah, cool, cool. Now, before I let you go there, Francis, because I know you're wanting to go out for a ride, um, you're making me jealous. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything happening in the near future with the brand, anything you can tell us about? um no well we're just working on um the women's shorts the men's pants and then the other thing that we've been focusing on recently is kids stuff so we've got a line of kids jerseys but i'm just designing some kids shorts uh again it's a little tricky because you got to find people to try them on and make sure they fit but um yeah that's happening so hopefully we'll have 
will have more range in terms of kids and women's stuff, which which I think, uh, yeah, will be good. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And the kids thing is taken off too. You know, it seems to be getting popular as well, which is awesome for the sport. Yeah, we have at our local races, we have huge numbers in in the kids and then also the the teenagers. I think in the under 15s category, there's like 70, 70 people racing. Wow, wow. Do you think the kids are coming through because their parents race or used to race or, or are interested in the sport? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know. I think, I think there's so many more options for sports now. It's not just that you have to play soccer or football or, um, you know, all those big team sports. I think kids have so many more options now in terms of choosing their own sports. Um, but yeah, I guess they must be getting into it from either their parents or their friends showing them, showing them the sport. Um, but yeah, however they're getting into it, it looks like they're hanging around at least till they're. Um, in their later teens, which is good to see. Yeah, for sure. No, we need the youth coming up to keep things going, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So how can people best find find your product, Francis, and follow you and stuff like that? I take it you can order it in the UK and things, yeah? Yeah, we've got we ship internationally, so you can definitely order it uh, order it in the UK and I'll um I'll give you a, a code to put in the show notes so you can give people a bit of a discount. Um nice. The best way to follow us is probably on Instagram um, at FrankedMTBApparel uh, or you can check us out at the website FrankedMTBApparel.com. Pretty pretty easy to find. Perfect, mate, perfect. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention that in the intro and stuff about the discount. That will be amazing. That will be awesome. Thanks so much for doing yeah. that. Um, and I'll use this as a shout-out while I'm on the podcast. If there's any shops in the UK that are interested in stocking a, uh, a brand from the other side of the world, just get in touch and we can also um, yeah send out some samples or, or organise a way to get the stuff over there. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, why not? Why not? That's cool. It's good you're wanting to expand as well. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's hard with, especially at the moment, international shipping is slow and quite expensive. So uh, it makes sense to sort of have have people over there that can stock the product or or yeah distribute it yeah for sure well bro thanks so much for coming on the podcast it's been great to speak to you and um, find out more about the brand and what you guys are doing there so very very cool indeed I, I wish you all the best of luck for the rest of the year thanks a lot it's been great to come on and have a chat That's a wrap for episode 153, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed that. And Francis, thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us about your Frank MTB apparel brand. Really interesting what you're doing there, bro. And I hope the season goes well for you. Your stuff looks really, really good, and the prices are amazing. So thanks for coming on the show and telling your story. Now, folks, don't forget, Francis has also very kindly offered 15% off all this product on the Frank website. To receive that discount, just simply at checkout, enter the promo code MTB Tribe, all uppercase MTB Tribe, and you will get your 15% discount at checkout. Now, Francis posts internationally, so don't have to worry about that. Um, so just go on the website and check all these good gear out. The stuff's amazingly priced, and with an extra 15% off, you really can't go wrong. So just check out his website, frankedmtbapparel.com. That's F R A N K. D-M-T-B-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com FrankedMTBApparel.com If you want any more information on that just simply go to the show notes which you will find mtb-tribe.com or the resources page on the website and you'll get more info on how to claim your 15% discount. Now, thanks so much for tuning in this week, folks. I do appreciate you being here again. And if you want to support the show, the best way is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on the old Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. Now, if you're not on Apple, don't worry. You can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, all the good podcast platforms. We are there, so you can check us out on whichever platform you use to listen to your shows. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to the show. Now you can also find us on social media at mtbtribe on Instagram and Facebook and we're quite active there. So if you want to get in contact or anything, just 
messages there and we will get back to you. Now until next week folks, I hope your week goes well, I hope everything goes well at the Vitus First Tracks Enduro Cup this weekend. It will be an amazing event as always, Glenn and the crew on an awesome, awesome show there. And be sure to tune in next week. I have a very special guest coming on the show. Seven times world champion. Unbelievable chat. Such a good person. I think you will really, really enjoy it. I really enjoyed chatting with her. It was amazing. So make sure and tune in next week for that. So until then, get the bikes out, hit the trails, and as always, stay MTB stoked.